As Jim just prayed, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? Turn to Matthew 18. We are on the second sermon on the parables of our Lord, stories for the stirred or stony hearts. I guess you could say tales that sting. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21 is where we're going to read in just a follow up what James just prayed and just ask for God's help right now. Father, help me. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said, and when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Have you ever scratched your head, or are you going to do that now at least mentally? When you hear those words read or you read them, what does Jesus mean? Can I be saved or forgiven and not forgive others? Does this mean that I earn forgiveness by the means of forgiving others? That doesn't seem consistent with what the Bible teaches other places. Forgiveness is a very heavy and important topic. This morning, I want to talk about this topic. I want to talk about bitterness. I want to bring you to a story that Jesus gave. And I do believe and I do pray that this morning, each one of you will be touched by God's Holy Spirit in a very profound way that God would give you memories in such a way that can bring healing, that can give your mind and your heart towards God's grace and God's Word in your life from the past, the present, going forward to the future. It's hard to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And it's also hard to say, I do forgive you. Easier said than done in regards to forgiving. It's so hard to choose to have a forgiving heart to someone who has hurt you. Oh, forgiveness. There's a word for someone who holds on to hurt and doesn't forgive. It's called bitterness. When I do something, when I sin, I tell a lie. I feel guilt, or I should feel guilt. When I hear that you sinned against me and lied about me, gossiped about me, I don't feel guilt, I feel bitterness. See the difference? 
Bitterness is unresolved, unforgiving anger and resentment. And bitterness does not only affect the person bitter, it affects everyone we come in contact with. But Jesus says that we have to forgive. A few years back, a few years into coming to the church, I once heard Lee Mundy, our chairman of our deacons, we were joking about something, maybe something like I was wearing a Michigan Wolverine hat. And I said, are you okay with this? And he says, no, I'm really not, but I have to forgive you. And, and, and we have this ongoing joke, I have to forgive you. If we say I'm sorry to one another, usually kind of jokingly, but he's making a serious point that if you're a Christian, you have to forgive. Jesus says so. Easier said than done with enough. What happens when we don't forgive? And where do we get the power for true forgiveness in the heart? Well, I want to tell you a story. Matthew chapter 18, you can read about it in verse 21. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother, he, he, he means a person, a friend, somebody in his community, my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times. Peter's thinking he's taking forgiveness to the ultimate level. It was in, in Jewish thinking, the tradition was to be a forgiving person, you forgive somebody up to three times, but three strikes and then you're out. And, and Peter took the number seven, which in Jewish culture was the perfect number, and said, seven times, Jesus? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is not saying, and then at 78, forget it. His point is deceiving. You have to forgive. We dare not keep track of how many times we grant forgiveness. Jesus tells us then a story to show us the reason why saved people must forgive. How can we say, as we say, as Jesus teaches us in, our, in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Forgive me as I forgive others. It's because we have already experienced the cleansing, energizing grace of God's forgiveness that flows over us. I pray that this parable will hit us in a new way. It'll open our eyes. It will reveal sin and bitterness and unforgiveness and the beauty of Jesus' love and forgiveness. And the, my prayers this morning that we, if you're Christian, you will... You will once again be renewed by God's forgiveness of you. And if you know that you're hiding a sin in your heart, you're bitter towards someone you haven't forgiven, that you will find God's forgiveness today and you will confess that and you will forgive others. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that first, that once and for all kind of forgiveness that brings you into a relationship with God, you will be found forgiven today by God's grace. So let's look at, I, I'm going to share with you three scenes from the story and three truths with some questions thrown in. Three scenes and three truths. Let's start with scene one. Look at verse 23 of Matthew 18. 
He says this, and you can see up amazing grace that is offered. The amazing grace that is offered. Therefore, Jesus tells a story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. These, these servants had debts, and he wanted to settle them, make sure they pay up. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We don't use talents as a form of currency today. 10,000 talents was probably the highest number in any ancient record. They would, that was like trillions. It was, but in reality, is a talent was about 20 years for a day laborer of 20 years of day laboring. So 200,000 200, years of day laboring would take to pay off this debt. And since he could not pay him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So what happens? The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. The king released him and forgave him the debt. What we find in this story, this parable, the scene one, is amazing grace that is offered. This is grace. And it is meant for the hearer. And Jesus tells this story as we're listening. See, the king is God or Jesus. And he intends for us to see that we, every single human being, has a debt too large for us to pay. Just like this servant, 10,000 talents, and the audience would say, well, that is an unpayable debt. And all of us should stop and think in terms of the fact that we owe an unpayable debt to God. God is constantly displaying and showing and pouring forth His goodness. He gave us breath and life in every moment. Right now, as I breathe in and I breathe out, that's grace that I didn't deserve. Every moment, He's less ways. And what is it that I owe Him in payment for that? Gratitude, joy, praise to Him, obedience, giving Him glory. And how little do we give Him glory in turn for what He has done and does for us every moment of our lives? Not to mention Him sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us, rescuing us. We give little glory to Him. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have a debt to pay. It's too large. This story reminds us that. And do you, understand, do you, do you get his response here? This man, he's swallowed up with debt. I mean, maybe him and his wife and his kids, they're worried because they know it's accounting time and they know that dad or husband has this debt and they can't pay it and they're wondering if they're going to be sold into slavery. And he goes and he meets with this king, and the king says, yo, pay it up now. I can't, okay? You're going to be 
sold into slavery. And he begs, he says, he gets on his knees and he says, please give me a little bit more time and I'll pay you. There is no way he was going to pay back this king. He could never in thousands of years pay him back. He didn't, and that's just like us. We do not understand or comprehend how big of a debt we have and how big of a need we have for God to forgive in our lives. Our, what, what was he going to do? The king was going to say, okay, what do you need? Uh, a fortnight? Do you, do, you need another, do you need another month? Another year? Is that going to get, get you 9,000 talents? And the answer is No. And for us, and far too many, the answer might be that when we feel the debt that we owe to God, we might say, I'll I'll bring to you a little bit more goodness, and then maybe you'll forgive me and let that debt be taken care of. The answer for him was not good deeds in any way, because our good deeds cannot cut it. Our being the best that we can and doing the best that we can is not enough for God to forgive us and to pay the debt that we owe to God. But you see, the story that Jesus ultimately is going to give and we hear today is only Jesus' blood can pay our debt. God forgives and cancels all the debt to everyone who cries out for mercy and receives Jesus Christ. The truth that I want you to see here is God's grace is boundless and is offered even to the greatest sinner. You see that? Oh, I pray that this morning, if you are saved, you will once again be reminded, even as you think on this story, that you sit here today inhaling and exhaling, going about your heart is beating, your life is continuing on, you have received God's forgiveness. He is for you and not against you. He has destined you to eternal joy and pleasure at His right hand. He has never, He will not stop working to do you good. And it is all undeserved mercy. It is God's grace. This story begins and we see the amazing, the boundless grace that is offered to the greatest. This is a person that could never pay it, and neither can you, neither can I. We must receive it by grace. It is, I mean, I could bring to you passages like Colossians, and I just want to share with you Colossians 2.13. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. God made us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us our trespasses, our violations, By canceling a record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Are you amazed by God's grace? Do you believe this? And this morning we'll say, I do believe this in my head. And oh, I pray that in a a deeper and a more profound way, we will believe these things with our whole being, our hearts. It will impact us to the very root of who we are, to the very depths of who we are, 
impacting everything that we do. God has forgiven us much. I was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see amazing grace. How sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. And were the whole realm of nature mind, that would that'd be too small if I had all of creation as, as owning it to be the gift to God. His love is so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Paul had to burst out into praise as he's writing to Timothy and he says, it's a trustworthy saying and deserving acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And God did this to show everyone else that God is really patient. If he can save me, he can save you. Brothers and sisters, faith church, visitor, if you're here this morning, I pray that you will come to know in a deeper and a more profound way the amazing, the boundless grace of God, His forgiveness for you. You could never, ever forgive someone else like He has forgiven you and will forgive you. I do want to say this as we move on. When you receive Christ and ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, and He does, He forgives you once and for all. Then there's a way in which the Bible talks about when we sin again in our Christian life, we confess our sins and he forgives us, not in a, we get saved again type of way, but in restoring our relationship with him, our fellowship with him. Just like I, I am my children's parents and if they sin against me, they don't stop being my kids. But when they sin against me, we're out of fellowship. And when they confess it and I forgive them, we are brought back into sweet fellowship and harmony. Okay. With that said, see that. Scene one, the amazing grace that is offered. God's grace is boundless. I want us to move to scene two. So, scene one, he's he's forgiven an amazing debt. Wow. How awesome. He's got to be feeling elated. Could you imagine that? You, have you been in a place where you've been pressed down so much? Maybe you're there right now. You feel it, maybe not, you feel it with a financial debt. You feel it with something that seems so overwhelming. You are stuck. You can't get out. Scene number two. And I want you to see the absurdity of grace being spurned. Like just mocked, belittled, the absurdity of grace being spurned. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, that's the servant that was forgiven 10,000 talents, millions, probably billions of dollars in our currency. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, that's a hundred days of work. One denarii is a one days of work. He owed him a hundred denarii. you owe? So his fellow servant fell down, sounds familiar, and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt of which he could not pay the debt in prison. And when his fellow servants saw what had happened, taken place, 
they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. You see what's going on here in the second scene? The absurdity of grace being spurned. I mean, the servants see that. The servants that are around there, they see this and they go, that's disgusting, that's inappropriate. You were just forgiven. And so they are scandalized themselves and they go and tell the king. Here's the truth that we learn from this. God's grace is spurned when we do not forgive others. Jesus wants us to see that God's grace is spurned. It is mocked. It is belittled. God's forgiveness of us is spurned when we do not forgive others. The fellow servants saw this grace and they did something about it. This story should, if maybe you've already heard the story already, but should make us even mad if we get into the story, put ourselves into that story. How dare he do that after he's received everything? How, how could he... He was forgiven tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of labor, something he could never pay back. He was going to be a lifelong slave. He was forgiven. And just for a measly little dad, he can't forgive. He doesn't get it. So absurd to act so petty after been given, been forgiven so much. And do you realize that's what we do when we do not forgive? Are you that servant? Do you hold, withhold forgiveness? Are you carrying bitterness this morning? Bitterness is hurt that we have because someone usually close to us, close enough for it to hurt, sinned against us. It might be something small like they constantly Constantly do that little thing at home that you've told them not to do, and now you resent them for it. And it seems petty, but it's, it's turned to internal anger. Hurt that is a result of others' actions that you haven't properly forgiven in your heart or confessed the sin of unforgiveness to God. Like what C.S. Lewis says, to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand. By meaning our words, when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says, Listen to this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, don't carry anger with you. And give no opportunity to the devil. I believe that churches are, are, are held captive of really being a blessing to the world and to each other because bitterness takes root in our hearts. And maybe not always, sometimes bitterness to each other in a congregation, and sometimes just bitterness in your heart to other people in your life that, that you're in bondage, and sometimes you can see it on your faces. I've been a pastor for tw almost 20 years, and I have seen the repeated experience of withheld forgiveness that leads to bitterness, that leads to contentment and grumbling and hatred, and pain, 
to all that are around them. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Note this, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see the absurdity of us not forgiving? Who in your life have you not forgiven and in turn spurned the grace of God, belittled it? He forgave you much and you have a hard time forgiving mom. Oh, she hurt you and it was real and it hurt and it was costly. But Christ's death on the cross was more costly. Dad's pain that he's brought you. You may need counseling. You may need help. That doesn't mean that consequences shouldn't happen because of the sins of others in our lives. But God, we are the ones that hurt maybe the worst when we hold that in and we do not forgive. It might be your brother or your sister who repeatedly has treated you poorly or talks belittling to a friend, a pastor, a mentor, a neighbor, usually someone close. And you know it because you can't forget a lot of the details. You can't keep your bitterness. You need to confess and forsake it. Proverbs 28 says that whoever conceals a sin, he will not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. You see, when others sin against us, they are guilty, and they will hold, be held in account to God. But when we do not extend forgiveness and we hold bitterness in our heart, then we are the sinner in that instance, or at least in response to it, and we need God's forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Well, I, I love what Tim Lane says. Tim Lane says, The metaphor for canceling a debt that we get in this parable defines the nature of forgiveness. The merciful king absorbed a billion-dollar debt that he was owed him. Or When you forgive someone, you cancel that debt, at least the debt that you want to get back at them. doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any law or justice depending on the situation, but more specifically, you make a conscious choice when you forgive your brother, your sister, your mom, your fellow, somebody that slighted you, or somebody that hasn't even confessed to you, but you're not sure if they did something, but you think they meant something, and you just have to give it away, you, you choose to not make the offender pay the offense by forfeiting your right to collect. And when you do so, he says, you make three promises when you forgive. When you're forgiving somebody, you're making three promises. Number one, you make the promise that you will not bring up the debt to use it as leverage against them. When you forgive, you're saying that you will not make that offender pay by reminding him of what he's done and therefore control him. This does not mean that you can't ever discuss it and seek to deal with what happened in a redemptive way to grow. That doesn't mean that, but you're not going to use it against him in order out of a spirit of resentment. The second promise you make is that you promise that you'll not bring that offense up to others to slander that person who's 
sinned against you. This doesn't mean that you don't seek counsel or help from somebody. Hey, help me. I'm struggling with bitterness, pastor or a friend. Can you help me deal with this? I need to figure out how to handle this. That doesn't mean that, but let's, it also means you don't use those kinds of counsels as a way of God promise that we're not going to use it against them. We're not going to use it and bring it to other people. And three, we make a promise that you'll not dwell on the offense yourself. That's a hard thing, and it's a process, not an event. It's a continued commitment to say, I am not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to replay the offense over and over again. And when you fail to forgive someone, you break these promises. Rather than canceling the debt, you keep the person's indebtedness before him and others and yourself. And your desire to make that person pay for what he has done outweighs your desire to forgive. If you've been forgiven like God, has forgiven you, how can you keep spurning his grace? Do you realize that God never says, I died on the cross for you for your sins, but look at how bad you really are. He, our sins he remembers no more. Not because he's, he all of a sudden quits being divine and loses his memory it's a conscious choice to say, I will not hold you against. Instead, I see you and I see Jesus Christ and I love you and I gave my son for you. If we have been saved, we have all been forgiven far more than we will ever forgive. Let me say that again. If you've been saved, and oh, I call you to that salvation today, you can put your trust in Christ, look to him, cry out to him, unlike the man who said, I'll pay you back, just give me a little more time, fall on your knees and say, I can't pay you back, but you promised the gift of forgiveness through your son, please save me, and he will have pity on you and have mercy and save you just like this king. I just want you to see the final scene, scene three. It's a very uncomfortable, it's a sad ending. I want you to see the anguish of grace that is gone. It's, it's the anguish of grace that is gone. There's grace that came, and grace spurned, and now grace is gone. Then his master, verse 32, summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt that you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he could pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is meant to... Don't take bitterness and unforgiveness lightly. Here's the truth. Not forgiving others hurts the bitter person deeply. Not forgiving you hurts the person deeply. God's grace that is continually spurned by not forgiving others is evidence that there hasn't been true repentance and forgiveness from God. Now we need to be careful not to take this parable too far. Yes, he was forgiven of his debts and then he was thrown in jail again. This is not to say that we lose our salvation, we lose our forgiveness from God if we've been truly forgiven. Jesus is wanting to teach that the, the ridiculous nature of not forgiving if God has forgiven you. 
And I think this end, including in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, if, if you don't forgive others your trespasses, your Father won't forgive you. I think over and over again, we te- I think the Scriptures is teaching, if you've really been forgiven, there is as though something comes into your heart and it, it moves you and brings a type of love and a gratitude in your heart and touches you deeply enough that you will become imperfectly, but truly forgiving people. Forgiveness is costly. When you forgive someone, it costs you. But not forgiving is even more costly. Don't forgive. Well, we can be saved and struggle with forgiving. I'm sure you're here and you've struggled. I've struggled to forgive. This week, I had to confess past bitternesses in my heart, whether it be pastorally, no one in here, don't worry about that, Um, but experiences in my life that I had to realize I was holding on to those, or I found myself continuing into a pattern of, I, I too easily bring that hurt up, even though it's 10 years ago, and I can start resenting, and I've forgiven that person. Father, forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to have a spirit of, say, of saying, I forgive you. How can I not forgive you? God has forgiven me everything. We can be saved and struggle with forgiving. We can be saved and fail in our forgiveness and even deal with bitterness in our heart, but desiring or wanting a change of heart. And it might be this morning, you need help in dealing with this. And I want to say there is help in Christ. Help with others in this church who will help you. I'll help you. Others will help you. But God, but many Christians are in a place where they will not experience the joy and peace and freedom until they deal with this sin. Maybe you are saved, and yet this parable was meant to wake you up to repent once again of bitterness, unforgiveness. To repent because you see God's amazing grace in a new way. You see your debt that He paid in a new way. You see how spurning of God's grace in bitterness in a new way. Oh, may we pray something like this. Gracious Heavenly Father, I realize that now I do have a root of bitterness in my heart. Thank you that you've chosen this time to reveal it to me. I ask for your help, dear Lord. I ask that you help me see the areas of my heart and life where bitterness has grown. I trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal to me my sin, and I confess to you the sin of bitterness regarding the following circumstances in my life. And you name it. Thank you, dear Lord, for revealing to me the areas of my life over which I am bitter. Please help me to overcome the sin that defiles many and begins to put on the fruit of, of, and give me the fruit of forgiveness in my life. Please help me to restore and repair relationships that I have wounded and destroyed because of my bitterness. Thank you for your great gift of grace to me. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, can you pray, Father, forgive me today like I forgive those who sin against me. If you haven't forgiven, if you aren't a forgiving person, 
That is something you can be forgiven of today. How gracious, how good of God. You don't have to wait until God calms down as if he needs to be in a better mood to receive and forgive you. If you confess your sins to Jesus, including unforgiveness or bitterness, and you claim, claiming that Jesus died on the cross, he will forgive you, not just seven times. He doesn't count. He told us to forgive 77 times. You see, God never stops forgiving. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see the grace, mercy, your compassion, and your pity towards sinners who could never pay a debt that we so greatly owed. Nope, God, I pray that you would so work in our lives to forgive as you have forgiven us. God, this is a hard thing because we are sinners, because we are not where we need to be or where you are, but God, you can help us. Would you overcome us with the power of forgiveness through understanding how much we have been forgiven? In Jesus' name, amen.